watching children's programming. So uh, we're here on episode uh, part part dos. Yeah, the uh, the return of children's programming. This um this COVID nineteen special episode. Indeed. What can you do? Uh, you know, life shut down. It's going to be shut down for however many more weeks. We just have to deal with it, Skip. Yeah, it just sucks that there's no sports to watch. I know. Yeah. Did you see that? Um, some of the sports are have gone to um esports programming. Really? Like uh, they replaced the NASCAR race with like a sim race of like gamers playing it. The the Mets are doing on uh, SNY. They're doing all MLB the Show for the whole month of what schedule's been. Nice. <clears throat> Indeed. Maybe you should take part in that. Um, they started a, a big. What are you saying? This is there's probably a big cash bonus that could be made available for you. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I think they think were about. playing. They were playing the Ocho yesterday. That was kind of cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were playing the World Bratwurst Eating Contest. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> That's that was what we a... need. <laughs> That's truly what we need. Yeah, they should make. <laughs> The, the Ocho should be a real channel. I like that idea. Yeah, because there there are weird sports out there that do need their own channel. I think. Speaking of sports, um, the big sports news probably in everyone's world is that Tom Brady is no longer a Patriot. Um, we're about five days late on that, but yeah, well, I mean, it's there's nothing else going on. It's not like people have new things to to talk about. You look very confused there, sir. Sorry, I'm just looking at something real quick. I am not uh, confused at all. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really get why he would leave. I mean, they're they've got a perfectly decent enough team to make the playoffs again and probably win another Super Bowl. But I just don't understand why he would go there. Like, the, the, you're trying the, to prove something. I I mean. What I think he wants to do is he wants to be like the only person ever to, to the only quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl in both conferences. That's I, what the, that's the only thing I can imagine the plan is. I don't know. So like any, if you were good, I don't you know. You're going to go to, what, sorry. It's all good. Um, if you were going to go to the, the NFC, you would want to go to a place like Dallas, I would think. I think Tom Brady going to the Cowboys just just wouldn't be a good combination. It's America's most hated player on America's team. <laughs> it's really what, what could go wrong. It's what we need. Yeah, what we all want. So we don't want this Tampa Bay nonsense. They don't even go to the games now. I mean, Florida in general just doesn't have a good sports ecosystem, except for the Dolphins. But no, the Miami Dolphins are popular, and that's it. I think that the, nope. I think the Buccaneers have the worst um, winning percentage of all time, if I'm not mistaken. It's either them or the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna look that up real quick. But you can you can continue on your your. Yeah, own. but no, I mean, here the thing is, like they have, on paper, it's not a bad idea because they have they have good players. They have Mike Evans is good. Chris Godwin is good. Peyton Barber is good. O.J. Howard is good. They have all these nice weapons for him. It's better than anything he would have had in New England. But, like, it's just, it's it's partly it's strange to be at looking at him in another uniform. And it's also just, like, 
Tampa Bay. It's like they're such an irrelevant team. They haven't been relevant at all since the the John Gruden era when we were when we were young lads. Indeed, it's I still forgot the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was like 2002 when like a bunch of random teams won the World Series and the Super Bowl. Like the Angels mm-hmm. won the World Series and then the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. Yeah, when the and then I think the, was that one of the Lakers championships one of those years. Yeah, they won three straight. Okay, beat, so that was the. That was the same year that the um, it was of the uh, Lakers Sacramento Kings final, mm. where um, the Kings still claimed that the NBA fixed the series for the the Lakers. I was watching the Espionation video about that the other day. Oh yeah, this was also um, was it two thousand two or two thousand one when the oh no it was it was the that was the Super Bowl where the Buccaneers. Because John Gruden had come from the Raiders, and the Raiders hadn't updated their playbook. So he knew everything that they were going to call at every given moment because it was literally his playbook on their team. So it was kind of rigged in a sense. It was kind of, there was no hope for the Raiders ever. (laughs) I always don't, I don't like that idea of the NBA being rigged. I think it's just kind of a, one of those just jokes. If it actually, I, mean, I, I don't think it could be done, but I will say it could be done there more easily than in any of the other three big sports. I mean, there's less be. players you have to worry about, and it's easier for one player to overtake a whole game. It's also under the control of the refs for the most part. Like baseball and football don't really. Well, I guess football to some extent has more control. Football kind of. Hockey and baseball, it would be almost impossible to rig a game. Football, you could do it, but there's just a lot more moving pieces than there are in basketball. There's 22 people on an NFL football field. There's 10 people on a basketball court. Wasn't there that um, the, there was a big cheating scandal, one of the refs, and I think Henry Hill was involved somehow? Uh, I, think I think this was in football. I can't remember. Or no, it was the Celtics, maybe? Yeah. Oh, by the way, the yeah. Buccaneers have a 38% winning percentage. Of all time, mm, delicious. Uh, Compare that to the Patriots, who are probably, if not the highest, definitely among the, the highest. The Cowboys have the highest. I would have thought the Steelers. Who, who are the top five? Read me the top five. <laughs> Cowboys at fifty-seven. The Bears at fifty-six. The Packers, the Packers, and the Giants are. The Packers and the Patriots also at 56, and the Dolphins and Vikings are tied for fifth. Really, the Bears have the second highest winning percentage ever. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think is just because they're counting the seasons when there were like eight teams, like back in the 30s and 40s? Well, if you look at that list specifically, it's the Bears, the Packers were back then, right? Yeah. Like original teams? Um, yeah. The Giants. You know, a lot of the older teams are still. It's funny that the Browns are like one of the oldest teams, and they're still at like fifty percent win total. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Browns will be Browns. Yeah, like most of the teams at the bottom are like um, fairly de- recent teams, except for the Lions, the Bengals. Right. I mean, the, the Lions Jets, and Browns. The Jets are forty-five percent. Like, the Lions and Browns are like the eternal jokes of the sports world. They yeah. will never be good. They will never win anything. 
The Lions have never made it to a Super Bowl, right? No. Lions and Browns are the only original teams that have never made it. Like the Jaguars and Texans have never made it either, but at least they have an excuse because they've only been around for like 20 years. Yeah. The Ravens being high up is kind of surprising because it wasn't that the original Browns team. It was. So basically the Browns are just taking up their old stats and the new stats from when they came back. Have you, have you ever seen uh, John Boyce's video about the new Browns? Uh, yes, I believe oh, so. so. That's the Browns, how the Browns are ghosts. And like the best thing about it is that the highest winning percentage of one team over another team in the entire league is the Ravens over the Browns. It's a little like, ridiculous. The new Browns have only beaten the Ravens like twice in like 25 years. I'm looking at uh, like a revenue by a team because mm. there's a bunch of these stats here. The Cowboys make more than anybody else with 950 million. I'm not surprised. The Raiders, I'm surprised, are the lowest. Really? Is this um, football or just all sports in general? This is just football. Uh, really, the Raiders make the least amount of money. That's kind of surprising because the Raiders have a really big following. Yeah, that's. I, I, w- I would. I would want to see how that was calculated. Like that can't be. You would think like the Jaguars or the Buccaneers are making the least amount of money. Or I guess not the Buccaneers anymore. I mean, they're they're down there, but you know, yeah, the top three are the Giants, the Patriots, and the Cowboys. Not that makes sense in the reverse order. I'm su- actually I'm surprised about the Giants a little bit because like the Giants aren't quite a national brand the way the Cowboys are. You would think it would be Cowboys, Steelers, and maybe like Green Bay or San Francisco. Because those are the teams I feel like there's fans all over the country. I feel feel like there's Giants fans all over the country too, but it's more regional than those other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like the Cowboys are like obviously America's team, but they're like a national brand even. They're more of a brand than... I, I think I consider the Raiders more of a brand than they are a team. I mean, the yeah, the the Yankee it's like the Yankee effect. Like when Jay Z said, "I made a Yankee fitted more popular than the Yankees ever could." You know, people. You go to China, people wear um, Yankee hats and cowboy hats, and they don't know who it is. They just know it symbolizes America. Yeah, that's like a thing. Like with Japanese culture or Chinese culture in general, they just love American culture for some reason. Yeah, no matter what it is, like you'll see them wearing like Nike or Adidas just because it's an American brand, even though Adidas isn't an American brand. Yeah, it's funny because like you don't see that in the reverse. You don't see like American kids walking around with like just some random Chinese brand on. No, I think we pretty much rep our own brands for the most part. Yeah, except you see, like I, I guess, I guess, like. We kind of we kind of like fetishize like European stuff though, because you see kids walking, you see like rich kids walking around in like Gucci and like Armani and stuff like that, and it's just because it's foreign and fancy and nice. It's not because they like it's literally just because of the name. It's kind of funny, like people wear something just because of the brand name. They don't really care if it's even good quality or not. Yeah. Like, what purpose does that make to just tell people that you have this brand? Like, what what kind of weird person, like, actually cares about that sort of a thing? 
Um, we have a we have a certain friend who will remain nameless on the show, but I think you uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. Who um, in, in his middle school days was uh, um, yeah. very very proud of the fact that he owned two Aeropostel shirts. Who I, I think said, I'm a human being. Yeah, like we he, he was getting too big for his britches one day. And we were like, hey, X, you know, you're not cool just because you have an arrow shirt. He was like, two, I have two arrow shirts. That sounds something like something he would do. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. the unnamed individual who knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> I love the kid. Of course. We, but, all, uh, we all do. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a much loved member of the children's programming family. Of course he is. He should be a guest one day. He's always welcome. He can tell the story himself. <laughs> if he'd like you to tell, You were telling me the other day that you have a fascination with rookie cards now? Yeah, I've been buying a lot of rookie cards. I had just bought um Sean Green. Remember Sean Green? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bought his rookie card. It was pretty cool. Delgado I bought. And then I had is David. This your, is this your quarantine obsession, just scouring eBay for rookie cards? Yeah, look, some of them are pretty inexpensive. Like the Sean Green one was like a dollar. Mm. And it was a dollar graded. Mm. Get them graded. They give you, you know, like a one to 10 scale or whatever. Nice. Um, but a lot I have of a like, Terrell Owens rookie card somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, one of my uh, dad's friends got me a birthday present this past year. It was like this giant, he just had it lying around in his house. It was this giant box of like old football cards. And he was like, yeah, most of them aren't really worth anything, but there's some that are pretty cool, and one of them was a Terrell Owens rookie card. Hmm. So. Do you still have it boxed up or anything? Or I have it, um, I have it right here, actually. It's in this little uh, box. He also got me um, Cal Ripken Jr. Coca-Cola. Definitely a throwback. Yeah. What's that shirt that you're wearing? <laughs> uh, it just says Bodega. In baseball team letters. I don't know. I got it from Boston somewhere. I don't know, like, if it's a brand or if it's a company or what it is. But I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's probably terribly illegal. <laughs> probably. I mean, I got it for 10 bucks. I know they weren't paying royalties to the MLD. No, probably not. <laughs> um, as far as rookie cards go, like, even, like, some strange players. Like, I'm trying to find a Billy Wagner rookie card. Ooh. I like to buy the first, like, whatever the first one was, and his first rookie card is still, like, a $40 card, which is kind of weird. Because mm. you would think, like, it would be a more relevant player than him. How much is a Derek Jeter rookie card going for? He, the one that's worth a lot of money is, like, probably five grand. Wow. Uh, let me take a look. There's a, like, it depends on the type. Mm. It depends on, like, what set it is. Yeah, right. the, 19, the 1992 um, looks like tops. 92 tops. Uh, it looks like it's worth a couple grand. Hmm. Yeah, you have fun with that. I hope this uh, documentary is a big hit so that you can buy a Derek Jeter rookie card for yourself. <laughs> I, I don't have any intentions of buying a Derek Jeter rookie card. The one is there I a certain? Is there a certain like selection of players that you want to focus on? Um, I'm trying to go for all the 06 Mets because that's my favorite, uh, obviously favorite team from when I was a kid. Of course. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of 
the free agents they had at that time. Like Delgado was one of them. Mm-hmm. Pedro Martinez, I think I, his card is a little bit more valuable, but it's not too bad. Mm. I have a Lastings Millage card from that season. I don't know if that was his rookie year, but um, I believe I do too. I have Josh Hamilton. I have a whole 2007 set. Mm. Um, I think I have Josh Hamilton. I think Philip Humber is in there, so I might have to actually take that one out. Oh boy, Mister Perfect Game, Philip Humber. Yeah, there you go. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Um, I still can't believe that he pitched. Well, I, I I can't believe that there hasn't been any since 2012. It's probably the longest drought in a while. It's gotta be right. Like most recent perfect. Yeah, so 2012. There was three. Mm. And the previous one was 2010, 2009, and then there was a gap between Randy Johnson and Mark Burley. So that was like five years. Okay. Um, and then David Cones was five years before that. And then so it's average Bull- like five years. Yeah, average about four or five years. We're going on eight right now, though. We're going to be going on nine soon unless the season starts this summer. Okay, so the longest gap was between 1968 and 1981. Mm-hmm. Catfish Hunter in 1968 and Len Barker in 1981. Okay. This is a good 13-year gap. We're getting, we could get to that. I'm, I'm rooting for us to get to that now. I'm rooting for us to break the record in our generation. Maybe coronavirus can help. Oh, and then there was a gap between 1922 and 1956. Oh, Jesus Christ. Never mind. And then another gap between 1956 and 1964. Well, never mind. We're not never going to eclipse that. No, I guess there was a little bit of a gap at some point. So in the modern era, the only decade that there was never a perfect game was the the 10s and the 30s and the 40s. Hmm. What was going on in the 30s and 40s? Well, the they war, just weren't throwing perfect games. People were so depressed, they just didn't want to throw a perfect game. That was also the era where you could, like, drink on the baseball field. Basically. Like, they, they had water. They said so they didn't have water in the coolers. They had beer. Oh, did you ever uh, hear about um, the, the guy in the Pirates who pitched a perfect game while he was on, on an acid trip? Yeah, Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis. There you go. Yeah. And he said he said one of the batters, um, he thought one of the batters was Jimi Hendrix hitting the ball with his guitar. <laughs> it makes you wonder, like, why, like, weird, weird scenarios like that couldn't even happen now because the game is just so, like, sanitized. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Like, these guys in the old days were, like, real roughnecks. And they mm-hmm. just did whatever they wanted. Like, you could... Yeah. Like baseball, as uh, my theory about baseball is that it's always been an excuse to get really, really fucked up. Like uh, it used to be beer, you know. Everyone would. It, it used to be in way in the old days. If you got to third base, they gave you a cup of beer. Really? They would have beer in the dugout. Maybe smoking cigarettes in the dugout. Nobody cared. Chewing tobacco. In the eighties, everyone was doing coke all the time. You know, like half the Pittsburgh team got arrested for for, um, for cocaine. I have a dream about making a movie about cocaine and baseball one day. 
it was so crazy that the pirate parrot mascot was like the kingpin for all of Major League Baseball. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Whoever was in that parrot suit was like a major drug dealer, and he, he gave everybody the stuff. No, there's and then it became steroids. We gotta find this man. <laughs> I know. He can play himself. Basically. Um, there were steroids. Can... I'm surprised, like, I'm kind of bummed that um, weed never became a big thing in baseball. No, I guess Tim really... Lincecum tried to make it a thing. <laughs> Look how that worked out for him. Yeah. The world's biggest Tim Lincecum fan over here. I firmly believe that Tim Lincecum should be in the Hall of Fame. All right. Well, since I, we, you've never told it publicly, I want to hear this. Uh, this argument. I've heard okay. it many times. There are only there are only two players in Major League Baseball history who have multiple World Series championships, multiple no hitters, and multiple Cy Young awards: Sandy Koufax and Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum was the best pitcher of the world for five years. Sometimes that's all you need to get in the Hall of Fame. Nobody was touching this guy circa 2008 to like 2011. Okay, can you he think was, of any, any other similar pitchers that had that sort of only five-year run and then kind of fell off? I mean, Sandy Koufax was like only big for like six, seven years. So, Yeah, we had, I think he had... Uh, back problem so he was only really the amount he accomplished in like 10 years was just amazing yeah i mean i can't think of anybody else who was like tim lincecum and won multiple cy youngs and then disappear i can think of plenty of like one season wonders like remember dontrell willis yeah like someone like him um, remember when Phil Hughes won like 20 games as a starter and then was immediately back in the bullpen the next year? <laughs> then you get a whole bunch of money for um, for that. And then somebody's who signed into a long contract. It's like the twins, I think. I think, yeah, the twins. And then didn't the yeah. Yankees signing, um, what was his name? The pitcher. He was on the twins and then he signed. Um, oh, Carl Pavano. Carl Pavano. Kind yeah. of reminds me of that. Remember, um, remember Chin Ming Wong? Yes, yes, I do. He was, he was an utter beast for like one season. Dice K on the Red Sox was like a beast for like half a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it happens. You want to hear I, weird stat? Um, Dice that? K is the only pitcher to throw to pitch a game in two consecutive games. He's the only pitcher to start two consecutive games. In recent time, I believe, because it would uh, the year they did that, they were playing in Japan, I think. Okay. And that was the season opener, and then the next he, he pitched like the second game of the series, and then the next game wasn't until like a week later. Okay. So, so I he think just he, pitched again. Yeah, he ended up winning. He ended up two and zero like the first week of the season, mm-hmm. winning two consecutive games or something like that. So interesting little factoid there. Um, isn't um correct me if i'm wrong isn't r.a dickey the only person ever to get a save in between two one hitters um that might be correct i feel like i remember some met did that they had like a save sandwich in between two starts and i can't remember who it was um dickey was Diggy became the first pitcher since 1988 to throw two consecutive one-hitters. 
Mm. So it wasn't him. It was it was that um it was that game against the Cardinals. Remember that twenty inning game against the Cardinals mm-hmm. in like in like twenty ten. It was whoever finished that game. It was Mike. Pel- it was like, I think Mike, Mike Pelfrey got that save, I believe. So it must be Mike Pelfrey. It was something like. He was like the first person ever to get a win, a save, and a win or something in like one week or one stretch of time or something like that. Who got the save that day? I'm just looking at the, the stats right now. Yeah, Pelfrey got the save. Mm. Let's see. Professional career. But um, back to the point about like... um. Tom Brady leaving the Buccaneers. Right. There could be a like a point made for the decline of players playing for long periods of time with one team. Yeah. Yeah. Really kind of a dying art. Mm-hmm. Because the only There's very few one team players anymore. Yeah. I think like in... even even Tim Lincecum left and went to the Angels. Yeah. Like, very rare do you see a player go, like, 20 years even with one team. Um, yeah. I think the most recent would probably be, for baseball, it would be who? Derek Jeter, probably. Probably. Derek Jeter and, and Mariano. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't think of another one. I mean, David Ortiz doesn't count because he started with the, the Twins. Tim Wakefield doesn't count because he started with the Pirates. Yeah. Uh, Jason Veritek, wow. yes, but he was—he only played for like ten seasons, I believe. Paul Konerko, he was on the White Sox for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Todd Helton, Todd Helton, yep. It's at one point, um, yeah. At one point, I remember. Um, I think it was twenty. It was right, right when they hired Ozzie Guillen. Well, no, when they fired Ozzie Guillen in like twenty eleven. One of the plans was to make Paul Konerko like the first player manager in 20 years. And, you remember um, who the player manager was? Pete Rose, Indeed. our boy. Indeed. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, players who left and finished their careers with other teams. We're talking about like the Joe Montanas of the world. Mm-hmm. Joe Montana on the Chiefs. Joe Namath played for the Rams, I believe. He did? Um, let me check. Yeah, he played for the Rams for one season in 1977. It makes you wonder, like, what, um, how, how far sports have come as far as contracts go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, budgetary constraints becoming a thing. Because a right. lot of times, the reason that players don't stick with one team is because that team can't afford to keep that player for 20 years. Like, obviously, someone like, you know, the Yankees can keep Derek Jeter for 20 years because they have the money to do so. But, like, even Evan Longoria, I thought Evan Longoria was going to stay with the Rays for his whole career. Mm-hmm. Ended up trading him because he's not really of any value to them anymore. Even Eli Manning, he didn't technically start with the Giants. He didn't? Well, he was drafted by the Chargers and then traded to the Giants. Oh, well, that doesn't count because, um, uh, what, what's his name? Kobe wasn't drafted by the, the Lakers. You make an excellent point. So yeah. I guess Kobe and Eli are like the two most recent ones because Kobe retired after Jeter, right? It was the same year, I think. Same year, that's right. It was the same season year, so it would have been 2016-17, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Relatively around the same time. Yeah, it's like Jeter, Kobe. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Michael Jordan on the Washington Wizards. (laughs) That's the biggest disgrace. (laughs) Why them, of all teams? Didn't he retire? So that was the second time he retired, right? And then he came back and played one season for the Wizards? I think so. He, he retired not to play baseball this time. He retired just to retire. I remember you telling me a story a long time ago. It was um, about how they, when the first time he came back to Chicago and the announcer was told specifically do not call out Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. And then he ended up calling out my and ended up getting fired because he, he like, oh, you know, when they do the lineup thing and they call out players and then like yeah. normally when the away team comes in, they'll say like a normal tone. But then Michael Jordan comes up and he gives all the fanfare for him. Yeah. And they, they fired him. And they're like, we told you. What did we say? <laughs> he tested them. Yeah, but I, 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 that one makes absolutely no sense. That that just like you're not going to win a championship with the Wizards. I'm assuming they weren't like a great team at the time. I can't imagine the Wizards were ever all that good. Let me just um, let me see what was going on in, in Washington that season because this was like 2002, I believe. Uh, yeah, 2000. It was 2001 to 2003. So we played two years with the. Um, Played two years with the Wizards. He uh, he donated his salary to the 9-11 victims. That's cool. Um, he uh, he His first season, he led the team in scoring with 22 points per game. He led in assists with five per game. Wow. Um, Even for, like, the end of his career, that's still pretty – that's, like, average for a good player. Yeah. Um, he, he only started 60 games, though, because he had torn cartilage. And then the next season, um, all of his home games were sold out, and the Wizards were the second-most-watched team in the NBA. However, neither season resulted in a playoff appearance for the Wizards, and Jordan was often unsatisfied at the play of those around him. At several points, he openly criticized his teammates to the media, notably that of number one draft pick uh, Kwame Brown. So uh, Michael Jordan, he didn't like Kwame Brown that much. I guess um, him and Stephen A. Smith have something in common there. What if Stephen A. Smith is beefing with somebody? What is that? Stephen A. Smith. My, that's one of my favorite recurring bits of him. Is like, Kwame Brown is a bona fide scrub. <laughs> and he's what not do you wrong think? Kwame Brown is a bad basketball player is he still playing I don't I doubt it yeah this was like what 20 years ago at this point yeah even for a number one pick he's got to be like num- one of the biggest number one pick busts ever mm-hmm. like up there with like Anthony Bennett and uh, uh, Andrea Bargnani who Andrea Bargnani. He was drafted number one overall. By who? Uh, I can't remember. Let me check. What year was it? It was 2007, I think. No, it's 2006. He was picked first overall by the Raptors. Oh, okay. So, uh, 
Uh, he was picked over LaMarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, Rudy Gay, J.J. Redick, uh, Rondo, Kyle Lowry, who they ended up getting anyway, so I guess that didn't matter. Was but, it 06 or 07 that it was the worst draft ever, they said? 2004 was pretty bad. That was the one where Darko Milicic went number three. But 2006 was bad, too. That was the Adam Morrison draft. This is the thing, like, I don't know much about basketball, so when you throw names at me, I'm not very good at, like, obviously, if they're no names, it makes sense, but... I mean, it was the equivalent of drafting Brian Taylor over Derek Jeter. Oh, he was in the draft that year? I don't remember. I'm just, like, making a comparison. We were talking about MLB draft busts last week, Bubba Starling and all that. 91, because I remember Derek Jeter was 92. Ah. You remember who the other three people that not make the majors are? Who? The three. Uh, so of all the players that were drafted number one overall, who are the three that never made it to the majors? Um, Brian Taylor is one. Yes. Um, the Royals got a guy. I can't remember who it was. I'm pretty sure the Royals had one of them. Is that right? Um, no. Okay. I'll give you one of them is completely old. One of them we talked about last time, and then one uh, both of them we talked about last time. Okay, so Brian Taylor. I'm trying to remember who we talked about last time. I have I have no I'm blanking. I have no idea. Who are they? Um Brady Aiken and Mark Appel. Brady Aiken, okay. Yeah, Mark Appel. And then uh, Brady Aiken shouldn't count because he's still like playing in the minors like he could make it one day but technically first overall players who have not made to the majors yeah 2017 he's in class a he had a 5 and 13 record for the 4.70 ra okay never mind he's not making the majors i mean if he got drafted what six years ago probably not gonna happen the other guy was the mets second uh first round pick ever so, 1963? 66. Steve mm. Chilcott. Because the first Mets uh, number one draft pick was Les Roar. Les Roar? From Montana. There, There's a human being named Les Roar. Yes. What L-E-S- the fuck? Was he a, a lion? Uh, L-E-S-O-R-O-H-R. Les Roar. Yes. Like the, sounds like the guy directing the MGM logo. Like, I'm, okay, I'm going to need less roar this time. <laughs> yeah, he's completely irrelevant. Um, but yeah, there's your Mets trivia for the day. The first less Mets. roar. Uh, for example, 1965, less roar was chosen over Reggie Jackson and Rick Monday. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Mets chose. <laughs> the Mets chose a man named Les Roar. Instead of future Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson, Mr. October himself, who they then had to watch win championships with the Yankees. So here are some other notable players from the 65 draft. We have um, we have Rick James from the Chicago Cubs. James. <laughs> <laughs> Um, went, I'm uh, Rick James, bitch. Uh, Ray Fossey. Okay. Famous for his um, 
you know, uh, Pete Rose ending his career. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Johnny Bench. They chose Less Roar over Johnny Bench. Less Roar over Johnny Bench. Maybe they thought his name was Bench, so that means he was always just going to sit on the bench. <laughs> I mean, it's the Mets we're talking about. It could be any number of reasons. This is going to get a little worse, too. There's plenty of more on this list. Mm. Um, we got Greg Nettles, Yankee great. Okay. Um, let's see. Hal McRae, he was a big Royals uh, star. Tom Seaver. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that didn't, they got him anyway, so. Uh, Tom Seaver was drafted by the Dodgers that year. He decided to go to school. Nolan Ryan was chosen. Actually, the Mets, chose, it, Nolan, the Mets chose Nolan Ryan that year. The Mets ultimately got Nolan Ryan, but they picked less roar over Nolan Ryan. Remember who Nolan Ryan was traded for? Uh, Tug McGraw? No, Tug McGraw was on the team at the time. I believe it was Jim Fergozzi. Mm. He ended up uh, playing like 50 games and then got injured and never played again, and then Nolan Ryan became Nolan Ryan. Mm. The real Jason Bay of his day. Indeed. Uh, baseball is a crapshoot the lesson is is that ba no baseball GM is actually good at their job they're just really lucky because it's impossible to predict what's going to happen it makes you think how come the, the Browns have never been lucky ever <laughs> well oh, John well, Boyce theory. explains it they're, co they're cursed in theory, they are technically two halves of a terrible franchise. Yeah. Because they're, they're a shell of the, themselves. The, the old Browns and then the team that became the Ravens and then whatever was left. Mm -hmm. So what if um what if one day the new Browns move out of Cleveland just like the Ravens did? And they move to like St. Louis and become like the the St. Louis Stallions or something. And um, a third Cleveland Browns opens up shop at Cleveland. And the St. Louis team immediately turns it around and starts winning Super Bowls and becomes this amazing dynasty. And the third Cleveland Browns is, like, even worse than this Cleveland Browns. Like, they're just going 4-12 every year. I still think that the, the Lions have a worse um, fate than the Browns do. Hmm. Because Detroit in general is just a terrible sports city, I think. Yeah. Poor Jack White. Friend yeah. of the show, Jack White. Yes, friend of the show, Jack White. I wonder if he watches Lions games. Like, I know he's a Tiger fan. He, he's a big baseball guy. I wonder if he watches the other sports. You think he ever just turns on Thanksgiving football and is like, hmm, let me watch the Lions lose again. Well, I'm sure he does on occasion. I mean, you gotta support your you gotta support your home team. Yeah, I mean, some of us don't. I don't, for example. No, you support <laughs> your uh, you support your Red Sox there. Yes, sir. The only way to go. Looking at sorry, I'm just looking at rookie cards right now. <laughs> mm. Who are, who are you browsing for this time? Um, I clicked on Ken Griffey Jr. I actually have this card. I was looking at wow. the the famous wow. Billy Ripken card. Mm. Are you familiar with the famous Billy Ripken card? I'm not familiar with the famous Billy Ripken card. 
So we'll tell you that story. So Billy Ripken uh, was the brother, or is the brother, of Cal Ripken Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, both were drafted by the Orioles, both play for the Orioles. Um, obviously, Billy Ripken never became anything and uh, was obviously in the shadow of his, his brother. More talented um, brother. The only thing he's famous for is this particular baseball card. Uh, you got to show me a picture. Ooh, boy, here we go. Now, do you notice anything weird about this baseball card? Uh, there's something written on his bat, but I can't read what it says. Does that uh, say... What? What do you think? Is that it? Yes. Does that say fuck time? Fuck face? Yeah, there you go. There we go. So there is... <laughs> Bill so Ripken's that... rookie card says fuck face on it. This is amazing. That wasn't his rookie card. It was just happened to be... Uh, just happened to be that you know particular card that had that on it. So there was like three different versions of it. So there's this one, the original. This actually got printed. Okay. So some ten year old kid in 1988 or 89 got this card. And then the second printing, I believe. Oh baby, baby, it's fuckface. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> So there's you know, I really want to go to your place. You need help. <laughs> Actually, whoever wrote that song needs help. <laughs> oh, Billy Joe, friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the show, Billy Joe Armstrong. When you for guests. Whenever you say friend of the show, I'm just like, what would be the odds? What would be the odds? Speak it into existence, Matt Dixon. Speak it into existence. Billy Joe, you're always welcome on the podcast. That would be like one of my dream interviews. Like, yeah, eventually over time, we, we, when we get more relevance in the world, we could do something <laughs> like that, get Billy Joe Armstrong or you know, even Billy Ripken we could get on the show. Oh, that'd be even better. So Billy, uh, let's make a documentary about the Billy Ripken card. There's not really much to say. <laughs> the funny thing is that's like the only valuable card in that set. Most of that entire set is probably worth like a penny for each card. Yeah. Because it's kind should, of it's kind of an ugly set. I actually have it. I should see if my aunt has one. Yeah, it's one I of know the, she's got a bunch of baseball cards. The I believe you can get a box of them for like five dollars. Hmm. Gary Carter's on the cover. Yeah, you can get a whole, you can get a brand new box of it for 30 bucks. And that's really, well, there's a couple decent ones. There's a Randy Johnson rookie card in there. Uh, Do you think it's safe to say that Dontrell Willis is the Tom Green of baseball? The Tom Green of, can you explain that? So, Tom Green, for those of you who don't know and who weren't alive in like 2000, um, so Tom Green was like the Billy Eichner of his day, but he did like lots of man on the street stuff. He was going around like he would go up to people and like do weird, ask them weird questions on the street and like say that they were his mother. And like it was all like man on the street, crazy guy interviews. And then um, MTV was like, we're going to give you a show. And then um, he was, like, kind of a mainstream actor for, like, one year. Like, he was in um, 
stealing Harvard with Jason Lee. And he appeared in, in Charlie's Angels in a cameo, and he dated Drew Barrymore. And then he made the cult classic Freddy Got Fingered. And after that, um, he was just kind of not famous anymore. It's, it's amazing you get a movie so bad, and then you're just not famous anymore. Like, oh, you're, you're done. You're pretty much. Yeah. Can Green Day contributed to the soundtrack of that film. Did you know that? What's that? Green Day contributed to the, the Freddy Got Fingered soundtrack. Did you know that? Which song Way was Way to it? bring it all home. They had um, Blood, Sex, and Booze was on there. Really? Yeah, for That's some crazy. reason. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, Freddy Got Fingered. One day we should do a, a live podcast review of that. I'm trying to go, I think we could do a commentary on that. That would be okay. Yeah. I'd love I'd love to do some commentaries. My favorite commentaries of all time are the ones where people who weren't involved in the production did the commentary. Mm. Like there's a Roger Ebert commentary on Dark City that's pretty cool. I think he did one on Jaws. There's an all-time amazing one actually called um Fuck, it's, uh, I forget what the name of the, the movie is. What movie? Um, it's, it's from the writer of American Psycho. Wrote, oh, The Rules of Attraction, that's what it's called. It's um, like the same writer as American Psycho. Um, Mary and Mary. No, it's like the, the, the book writer, I mean. Oh. Um... So... But it's like, it has James Vanderbeek in it and like Jessica Biel. And, uh, but the point is, Brett Easton Ellis, yeah. But the point is, um, the DVD release has a commentary. So this, it was marketed as a rom-com, right? But it was, was like a dark, like, what? What's this movie called? The Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction. So like, you see it and you're just like, oh, it's a rom-com, but... You know, it, when you actually watch it, it's like this dark, like, it's like American Psycho. So the DVD release had a commentary by Carrot Top. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> it had a commentary track recorded by Carrot Top, who was watching the movie for the first time and giving his live reactions. <laughs> yeah. I think that's honestly the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we should do that. I have a couple. I have a couple ideas in my mind. That's that's a great idea. We could do Freddy Got Fingered. We could do all sorts of things. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Children's programming does. Uh, what what can we call that? The children's programming commentary hour. I like that. We're gonna do that. How good would it be if, like, one day they do like a Criterion Collection release of Freddy Got Fingered? Oh, that's not. They're like. Wow, this this Matt Dixon and Nick Parody's commentary is is really really good. Let's include it. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. What was that again? The rules of attraction. No, the uh, the children's programming. The children's programming commentary hour. We should have some. We should have somebody do like a voice. Uh, what do you call it? A, an intro voiceover where it's like some really bougie, like Englishman. Yeah. And now you're listening to the children's programming commentary hour with your hosts, one Nicholas Parodies and Matt Dixon. Yeah. There's some really funny, like, commentary tracks out there. 
There's one on like I think it's on one of the old Resident Evil movies or something. But like the at it's like the actors and Paul W. S. Anderson, the director, are doing the commentary. And the actors aren't talking about the movie at all. They're just talking about this time when they went to like a nude restaurant or something. And Paul W.S. Anderson, what? A commentary that's not actually a commentary. Yeah, and like Paul W.S. Anderson tries to jump in and talk about the movie and they like tell him to shut up so they can keep telling the story of this nudie bar they went to. I thought he could probably get more content that way. Yeah. Or like the Armageddon one where um, Ben Affleck is like making fun of the movie and Bruce Willis is just bored out of his mind. He's like, they pay me to be here. I don't really have much to say, but... And Affleck is like, um, Affleck is like, I asked Michael Bay like why it made more sense to send oil drillers into space than just to teach um, astronauts how to drill. And he was like, just shut up, Ben. Just shut up. This is a real plan, okay? I think that might be a good idea since we're going to be quarantined for a while. We should do the um, we should do like a commentary track. Yeah, uh, Kevin just did one for a reboot. So mm. I think he said he's going to do one for all his movies while he's quarantined. I like and the sound of better that. To do. He has nothing better to do, so he's going to do commentaries for all his movies that didn't get one, mm-hmm. and then some new ones, obviously for the old movies. I've actually never listened to any of his commentary track. Which one should I start with? Um, let's see. For those listening, uh, Matt Dixon is the uh, world's uh, third biggest Kevin Smith fan. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so I'd say... That. Um, hmm, let me think about that. I mean, I... I Works I, one is probably the most... Probably the the best one you could listen to. Mm. In addition to listening to um, the the Snowball Effect, which is the Clerks documentary. Okay. Combined with those two, that's a pretty good commentary of the whole of the whole movie itself. Um, the Mallrats one is pretty good. Um, so I'd say do watch. The, I'd say watch the Clerks one and watch the Dogma one. I think that'd be a good commentary. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I say like watch the Mallrats one third, and the Clerks two one's really good. That, that I, I'd say watch Clerks two first. Mm, oh, the wish, right? Yeah, the Clerks two documentary is excellent. I love how he makes featured like like he makes documentaries longer than the actual movie. Yeah, like it's something you come to expect. Like every movie he makes, there's a documentary about the making of at least his good movies. Yeah. Um, it makes me miss the glory days of the two-disc DVD special edition. Yeah, even the Blu-ray had two discs. Yeah, I mean, like you know, you know me. I am like the foremost expert on um, the DVD special edition. We could even end on that. like um, we could talk about like how did we did we talk about this? What about special editions not being a thing anymore? Yeah, like. I mean, we've talked about it off air, I'm sure, but like, what, I mean, what's going on? Like, I get Blu-rays now, and there's like two things on the disc. They got like one deleted scene, and that's it. The um, I'm surprised the Uncut Gems uh, Blu-ray didn't have much on it. It had like a 30-minute documentary about the making of. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is basically just the Safties talking into a camera for 30 minutes. Well, let's like, let's take, let's take a look at um, some examples from my uh, shelf up here, which is temporarily positioned upstairs while I move things around downstairs. So let's look at good time, good time, special features, a music video, a commentary track, and a 20-minute documentary. Cool. Let's compare that to The Last Samurai. So we have commentary, History Channel documentary, Tom Cruise documentary, video journal, conversation with Edwards Wick and Tom Cruise, production design documentary, costume design documentary, weapons documentary, deleted scenes, premiere footage, DVD ROM information, trailer, and multiple languages. For a movie that not many people saw. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about for a movie that not many people saw, I have like a two-disc version of fucking Wonderland, the Val Kilmer, John Holmes movie. <laughs> like there's like six hours of content on the those discs. It just like, shows the, like directors the actually care. Yeah. It's like the difference between when people were like, oh, we have this new format, we have this new technology, let's do everything we can with it versus, eh, fuck it, people will buy it, who cares? And you would think that this would be the perfect time to go all in on the special features, is if you're trying to compete with streaming, streaming doesn't have any special features of any kind. It's like if you went all in, if like a studio were to go all in and be like, our releases are going to have all kinds of new stuff. They're going to have all kinds of, of behind-the-scenes material and extra scenes and extra shit on it. People would st probably start buying discs again because they'd be like, well, I love this movie. I want to see what happened. You know? Uh, I think that the only ones who really do it anymore is Criterion. Yeah, like Criterion is pretty much the only ones that do it. Yeah, like, I think Universal's probably the worst now, because if you ever get a Universal movie, it's always, like, the most generic. Like, they they all have the same, like, um, menu screen and everything. Like, even interactive menus is sort of, like, a nice little little thing. Yeah. Like, remember um, House of a Thousand Corpses, where the guy would, like, yell at you if you didn't mm -hmm. pick something? Yeah. Or I remember, like, when I was a kid, I watched, like, um series of unfortunate events like a bunch of times and the menu on that was like a cardboard animation or something mm. it was like you know they put actual effort in back then they don't do that anymore it's probably because nobody really cares i mean there are we have to realize that a lot of the a lot of us are not really existent anymore yeah like people who actually like care about physical media and that sort of a thing. We, we, we think that we have a large community and like we actually matter. But we don't. I don't. I don't feel like Hollywood really cares about people like us. No, the not vast at all. majority of their audience is people who are going to watch the movie once. They're right. really trying to appeal to people who want to watch the movie once because it's on Redbox or whatever, mm -hmm. or people that actually go in the theater. Like the people that watch the movie at home, they don't really, you know, they care about really. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a it's a sad time to be a fan of the art form. 
Yeah, because you even go to stores now, like the the selection in stores has just gotten like a quarter of what it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's whatever came out recently, and then a couple of popular titles from a while ago. Yeah, like five years ago, you could go to Barnes and Noble and Fye, which are usually the two biggest. You know, where you can get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But even now, like the local Barnes and Noble is like a quarter of what it used to be. And it's mostly all the section where the movies used to be are now like pop figurines. Yeah. Like I don't that. even go to uh, the Newburgh Barnes and Noble anymore. I just go to Paramus because they're the only one I've found around here of like a big selection still. Yeah. They've got like a whole floor that's just movies and shit. Like, luckily, but it's like, still, e- luckily it still exists. Yeah. Like if you're actually looking for it, you can, you can seek it out, but mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to find a, a store that has a dedicated section of movies anymore. Like, even FYE, like, it's not even really existent. Yeah. The fact that it's still around is kind of shocking. I need to go through my collection and look at the stuff that I should get rid of. Because I have so much shit that I'm like, I really don't need this. Yeah, I only really buy what I know I'm going to watch again at this point anymore. I have never done that. I've never been a subscriber to that theory. I'll yeah. buy shit just to watch it, and then, and sometimes I'll never watch it. I'll just be like, "Oh yeah, I bought that five years ago, and still haven't sat down and watched it." Yeah, I, I have that theory. Like now, I only buy most of the movies I've I have on the shelf. I've seen, so and I know I'll watch them again. If, you know, there's a couple here and there that I used to buy, like when I had a more disposable income. I used to buy the catalog titles all the time. Mm. So whatever would come out that week, I just buy them all. I have a um, I have a, a Miramax newsletter that I got in one of mine where you can you can mail it back in and they'll send you a free Miramax DVD. Did you ever send it in? I didn't. Uh, I was thinking we could try it live on the air one day. We could call <laughs> it in and ask for our free Miramax DVD <laughs> I, I, with I with purchase that. of whatever it was. I forgot what movie it even was. Our Miramax movies. Yeah. The coolest thing I've seen is on the back of that clerk's uh there's that VHS tape I have and it's like the the video store version. Mm-hmm. That the store could have sent in the like QCP like if you sent the tape back, you would get a free hockey jersey. Ooh. So there's a I've always wondered there was this clerk's branded hockey jersey that was floating around the internet. Yeah. And I always wondered where it came from. Like, oh, it was a giveaway if the store gave back the tape. But it turns out it was actually that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool little little thing. Kevin going. We need we need more things like that in our world. We could be the originators of this change. We could be the the people that drive things back to the way they were. The two disc special edition of the RST documentary. Ooh, (laughs) kind of sucks that we can't do any interviews right now. What's that? Kind of sucks that we can't do any interviews right now. Yeah, so I was, and we, it's just—it's not even that. It's just like the, the fact of not knowing when it's going to be over. Yeah, I mean, most of the most of the time we've spent in like isolation, it's just kind of—it's like cool. We get it this time off, but like even I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know it's just, that, but no, I, I know what you're saying. It's it's just weird. It's unfortunate. It's 
it's it. I don't know how to feel. Like I don't know how I'm supposed to be reacting to all this because we've never lived through it before. It's very very strange. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything where like literally everybody's on lockdown. Like the last time I saw something like that is when the Boston bombing happened and they locked Boston down for a day. But yeah, but nothing like this long and this consistent. Yeah. But um, I'm hoping that we can get past this soon because I I don't like the the distant podcast idea. Yeah, it just doesn't flow as well when you're not in person with somebody. I agree. I mean, we're doing okay, I think. But yeah, I think so. We can edit something together with this, but you know, it's tough when you're not in front of the person to be able to actually express a conversation. Yeah, we'll have to save some of our topics for next next episode. Um, Sounds like a plan. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we can probably wrap it up there then. It's about an hour in. All right. So, hope everybody's what I, What's up? Uh, I was going to say, let's um, wrap it up with our famous section, What Have We Watched Lately? Um, I haven't watched much in the last, like, two weeks. Um, I saw a documentary called Dark Days. Mm-hmm. It's about these this, this guy ended up finding... Did I tell you about this? You might have. Did I mention him in the last episode? The guy living under the subway? Yes, yes. Okay, so I haven't seen anything since then, so I have nothing on that end. Uh, I was watching uh, Dan in Real Life earlier today. The Steve Carell vehicle? Yes. The Steve uh, Carell post office vehicle? With Dane Cook in a supporting role. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I liked it a lot. I, I was going into it. I was like, "This is just going to be like a studio comedy," and it wasn't. It was, it was actually more of a drama than anything else. I was, I was impressed. And what Dane Cook can act surprisingly. Well, whatever happened to Dane Cook? Uh, I know he still tours. I mean, he's not. He's Dane Cook is like the Tom Green of stand-up comedy. <laughs> He, he was super famous so for, like, crap. what? Why do people give him so much crap? I don't know. Is, was it, like, this the, the instant blow-up of his popularity? Was it maybe the joke-stealing? I don't know what it was. Was that ever confirmed that he stole jokes? He definitely stole jokes from Louis C.K., but he wasn't as bad as like, or as notorious as Mencia was, for example. Yeah. I always found that weird that Mencia was um, Mencia's friends with Joey Diaz, mm-hmm. but yet he him and Joe Rogan are such enemies. <laughs> right, it's kind of strange, but it seems like a lot of comedians just like to hate on Dane Cook because of yeah. like that how popular he became in a short period of time. I think it's got to be like the popularity thing, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of like when somebody. When so, when somebody becomes like a super big pop star and like all the all the indie people just start hating on them, mm-hmm. like when Green Day released Doogie and then their entire like fan base like turned against them because they were yeah because um, suddenly think, they were everywhere. I think comedians in general are just a little like they have that like we work hard to get to this point in time and then he kind of accomplished it in such a short period of time. Yeah. That it kind of made people feel a little bit irked, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not going to stand here and, and say, like, 
he was the most amazing comedian ever either. Like he was just kind of, he was funny, but he wasn't like world shatteringly funny. He's not in my, my top 10, but you know, I don't, I don't think he deserves the shit he gets. And especially I was, I was, I was, it just goes to show like how much people dump on him all the time. Cause I was like, wait, Dane Cook is in this movie. Why is he in this movie? And then he was good in it. So like, Oh, like my perception of him was the entire reason I wasn't expecting anything. Yeah. I mean, if, if you said he was a decent enough actor, like, I don't really think he acts too much anymore, though. I don't think so. I mean, it was that one Louis episode where he made fun of the whole situation. Yeah. At least he, he you know, can laugh about it. Well, I mean, he's he. it might be his movies, too, because he made so many shitty movies. He was in like... Um, Remember Good Luck Chuck? Employee of the Month. Yeah, with Dax Shepard and Jessica Simpson. Playing. He, in... he was a voice <laughs> in. Yeah. Or he was in that Kate Hudson movie. It's called, like, uh, my, my Friend's Girlfriend. My Best Friend's Girl. That's what it was called. He was in, like, just endless shit like that. So maybe that's why people are like, oh, God, Dane Cook. You could kind of look at him. Terrible. You could kind of look at him as a study of when these comedians get really, really famous, and then they end up getting their movie career, and then they just tank, kind of like Eddie Murphy did. Yeah, but Eddie Murphy more more later Eddie Murphy than than anything. Because a lot of his early stuff is pretty decent. Yeah, and Eddie Murphy's made kind of a comeback lately. I mean, Dolomite was pretty good. Yeah, trying to think of another situation that might have happened. Tom Green. Tom Green, yeah. Like, where an actor became, like, uber-famous. Well, I guess Dave Chappelle kind of avoided it by ending the Chappelle show after, like, two seasons. Yeah. And then just kind of just doing comedy for the rest of his, you know, for the rest of his career, for the most part. Never really acted that much. Mm -hmm. As far as comedians, I mean... I don't know. I I can't think of any other comedians that did it off the top of my head. I can think of plenty of actors. Like Kevin Costner, for example. That became a little too big for themselves. He was like the biggest star in the world in like 1990. Because he, he, he was in uh, Dances with Wolves and won like every Oscar. And then he was in Robin Hood and was like a big star. And then Waterworld came out and it was all gone after that. I love how he turned down the Shawshank Redemption to be in Waterworld. <laughs> Is that how Tim Robbins got the part? That is correct. Mm. You know what's crazy about that, too, is like Tim Robbins was known more as a director at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he directed um, Dead Man Walking the next year. Yeah. Which is a great movie. I've never seen it. Maybe I'll watch Mark, that tonight. I have a copy. I would be happy to once we're off quarantine. Indeed, or we can even do a commentary on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm with it. Definitely. Uh, somebody just did a grocery drop up. at my neighbor's house. Yeah. What's that? I said, uh, yeah, we could probably, could probably finish up for today then. Okay. Uh, uh, and last side note, listen to the new Childish Gambino album, everybody. Yeah. It's really good. I don't think I've ever listened to much Gambino. This, this oh. new one is, if you're a fan of trap music and soul music, as I am, 
excellent, excellente. I'm more Delish. fan of I'm more fan of Donald Glover the actor hmm. than Donald Glover the rapper. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, not really my thing, but I like a couple of his songs. Fair. Doesn't do much for me though. You'll have to give me more in depth why you like the album at some point. I'd be happy to. Give it, give it some more lesson, and then we can talk about it next time. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. this has been uh, episode two. Um, yeah, programming. Excuse the awkward delivery. Not in person, yeah. so it's a little less, um, little less personal than I'd like it. But what can you do? I think we did okay. I think we did okay, too. All you can do is just keep living, Dixon. That's all yeah. you can do. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> You can you can hit me up on Twitter at Nick Parodies or Instagram at Nick Parodies, Snapchat at Nick Parodies, all of that good stuff. And always remember, um, as always, follow RST Doc on Instagram and RST Documentary on Twitter. Yes, as soon as the quarantine is done, we will have more interviews coming your way. We will have all kinds of of good stuff. I promise, great things. More film projects are in the works. We just have to wait for people to be allowed out of their houses again. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could get somebody, anybody from the um, from the documentary to be interviewed for this. The actual yeah. Doc. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. You can even maybe interview Tucker, because uh, Tucker's the guy running RST Video now. Mm-hmm. He might be interested in that. Maybe I should take my unwanted uh, collection items and give them to him. I'm sure he could use it. Yeah, he probably do doesn't have, have. Do you have a copy of How High Starring Method? I do not have a copy of How High Starring Method in Red, unfortunately. Uh, I do have Half Baked Starring Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. <laughs> That's fantastic. What was that Lucy K movie? That um, oh Pootie Tang. Pootie Tang, yeah. That's uh, I think Rock. I think for our commentary track, that's the one I would pick. Booty Tang. Because I've never seen it, but I've always wanted to see a Louie movie, so. He, um, what was the other one he directed? Um, there was that one that never came out because of all the whole scandal. Oh, yeah. I'm, I still want to see it. Apparently, it's quite good. It, it'll, it'll never see the light of day. I'll, once I'm famous, I'll buy a copy of it and release it. Well, hopefully by then he'll be, uh, on Me Too. Apparently he's recording again. Yeah, I think he's got a new hour. So that's that's what Joe Joe said. Oh yes, Joe, he's recording again, Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Nick Parodies, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. It's, it's absolutely. Uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar, Matt Dixon. I'll see you around. All right, Bucky. See you later. Mm-hmm.